1: Alrighty, guys. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast. This week, kind of an interesting topic and something that's become more relevant recently. Now that we have more data for attendance and stuff since the all-important OP announcement, and that is the split between modern and pioneer, uh, and what it means financially. So first and foremost, uh, one of the big things here that kind of prompted us to have this discussion was speaking with local players speaking with other vendors speaking of judges there's kind of like this divide where people think pioneer ends up on the op roadmap uh what makes it important where it sits compared to other formats etc so let's uh let's get started with the nitty-gritty here
0: then yep so the, the first thing we want to touch on briefly is modern the format is everything from Aethed Forward. It is the first new border treatment of the game. Forward, if you want to look at it that way, pioneers everything from Return to Ravnica. Forward, and it actually seems like some of that gets lost in translation. Like there are some people that think that it starts around KTK and Origins, which is not the case. We're going two blocks before that. You know, that's where we get our shock lines. That's why we had Deathrite Shaman in the format for a hot minute. That's why we have some of these odds and ends from Theros that make up the monogreen devotion list, right? So we have, you know, what is it? Maybe six blocks or so between the two, which is mm, five-ish, six-ish years, somewhere in there between the the starts of these formats. So the first thing we want to touch on is this idea of, well, will Pioneer overtake modern or not? And for me, I think it's a solid yes, but we're not going to see it for a while.
1: I'm kind of in the same boat. I think, you know, the telling thing here is obviously, look, things have changed Mm -hmm. in Magic. You know, you and I grew up in a time period playing where we had Type 1, Type 1.5, Type 1.x, and Legacy became the old man format. Mm Mm-hmm. When Modern came out, then Pioneer came out, Legacy kind of faded away yep. and Modern became the old man format. And it's interesting to me seeing the price discrepancy and what Modern has become because the whole point of Modern was they wanted a format that could be approachable and affordable and not be beholden to the reserve list. And yet, when swept are for $30 yep. for the cons version. Yes and i think that what will cause pioneer to overtake modern is as all of the earning calls have said profits have grown we can assume this means there's more players i think that's a reasonable assumption uh that also means that those new players probably don't have access to the same cards that people who were entrenched have so if i had to guess pioneer is going to be where they end up
0: Uh, everything you said I agree with and that's why I gave a very concise answer to this. The other thing about modern that is interesting is that that was their first foray into a format that was non-rotating that started at a kind of indeterminate period of time. It's mirrored in forward. It's the new border forward. That new border forward, right? And so... We look at that and we say, okay, that is so far back in time and there's so many design mistakes throughout the history of this format that is it easier to just start with a clean slate of Pioneer and use the foundation that Modern created in a non-retaining format and utilize sets that represent current design philosophy instead of continued iterated design philosophies that creates this hodgepodge format and truthfully i think that's the case that modern does fade out it might end up getting shelved like legacy but because it's eminently more approachable than legacy i believe it does live on at paper events it creates a great split format for team events yeah. And it's not like watsy hasn't been known to have a team event at the upper echelons of professional play. We saw Pro Tours, the team, uh, with a legacy seat before OP yeah. went away, which will most likely become the modern seat in time. Then you'll have standard Pioneer Modern. And Pi- and Modern will remain side event fodder, um, XK dollar fodder for those events because that format was eminently more approachable your land base which is generally speaking the cost of your deck is like you said expensive but much more approachable than the alternatives
1: yeah and i think the the thing that really is going to drive this is to piggyback on that point the accessibility or lack thereof which sounds again absurd right because modern cards are so much more fresh but you know it's if i'm given the choice of i can just get one of this card and play my edh deck or i can invest in four copies of this card and play in a constructed format obviously the more affordable choice is to go for that now as far as you know paper play i think that's what's going to be very interesting i don't think arena really has any bearing on either of these formats they're just it's it's not relevant at all i they scrapped pioneer masters mm-hmm. so arena's somewhere maybe who knows uh but i think based on what we've seen recently especially with the op announcement with how arena's been doing things with how alchemy and explorer and it seems like arena has turned into this mode for let's test new formats everyone i know is playing explorer i don't even know what explorer is some format Mm -hmm. that's all i know uh and i don't think that you know i think pioneer and modern are fine existing on moto where those cards are eminently more affordable and you can get immediate results immediate deck tech immediate meta knowledge from this and i think that that's one of the most important things about both of these formats is that if we are emphasizing these in paper now and we're emphasizing completely different formats in arena that means and this dovetails into the next question that matters for stores for vendors for everyone yes yep because there's this clear diversion in what the two paths seem to be for digital play as opposed to paper play
0: yep yeah the the question for me about where does pioneer sit in the digital environment really comes down to Does Pioneer need Arena? No, it is quite healthy on motor right now and in paper, but I think Arena needs Pioneer, because right now it really only has limited as kind of a cash cow format for Watsi. As far as I know, nobody cares about standard, and while Historic and Alchemy were quick hits, they seemingly have fallen away for Explorer which is Pioneer Light, and yep. just saw its first set of bans today. And we it, two cards were banned, Tybalt's Trickery, which is fine, because that's also banned in Pioneer, but Winota yep. was banned. And the problem with that, as a lot of people have pointed out, isn't that Winota necessarily needs to be banned in Pioneer, it's that the cards that, generally speaking, keep Winota in check aren't on Arena yet. So there's even more divergence there so if you're going to focus on the pioneer format does digital get involved at all no well arena is what i mean digital yes you have to play on moto but now that's kind of pushing people to okay if we're going to play pioneer events you're going to test on moto that's how you're going to do the pro tour well what matters for a vendor if this was an arena only format how much would it truly matter and that's kind of a question because right now standard is an arena only format and that doesn't matter no uh
1: i I think the prime example that i like to cite when people talk about the pioneer uh effect on prices uh chandra just to kill Mm -hmm. until the pioneer announcement was just a card and then the pioneer announcement hits and all of a sudden it's 25 30 because it's in the aspiring spikes lists and uh, you know when stuff like that starts to happen and you notice it i think we do have to right Mm -hmm. this this is this is relevant this is a format that is going to have playability that is going to have liquidity and i think the key thing which both of us have touched on up to this point with pioneer especially is the accessibility of pioneer is better than modern yeah it just is so i can have some you know, local who comes to a star city that just drove two hours to show up one day that's like, hey, I want to build a pioneer deck. Here's my trade minder. Show me what you have. And that accessibility makes it so much better because, again, like you said, mana bases are most of your cost. Mm-hmm. Well, when most of your mana base is like $10 lands because Fabled Passage is your fetch land, and you're running shocks and pathways. That's way more approachable than finding out I need to drop five hundred dollars on fetch lands for this deck.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, but before I move on to the sorry, n- yeah. no, 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 no. This is great. Before I move on to the next uh, question, the next part of the topic, I have, I do have a question for you, and this is re- in regards to accessibility. How many pre-constructed modern decks did they make? Did they sell to? Yep. It wasn't even a good one
1: no but it, it was the only way you could play stoneforge for a while yeah, uh
0: well that was in the standard pre-constructed it had oh, sort yeah, of yeah. feast and famine that's yeah, the highlight yeah. of the black white token stack how yep. many pioneer decks have they done so like eight or something
1: yeah it seems like uh because they did them in 19 they just released a new set We're of
0: them a new set of four that had lotus field and the mono red deck and spirits right yeah, and they are they have already made if it's just these four and the ones that I'm remembering are like that late standard early pioneer where it was like the vehicle stuff like yeah I might be misremembering oh, they've already made f- at least four times as many times. the
1: amount yeah. as they did for modern
0: right which is in- hugely important for accessibility yeah and really goes into you know what's gonna drive this format and as a vendor for me, when I start caring about a format is when it becomes popular enough that people are starting to pull cards from those sets that forces movement on my buy list. Yep. I'm not going to I I wasn't looking at Pioneer over the last two, two and a half years and saying, All right, I gotta buy into this format the non EDH staples in this format because it could be a thing. I didn't do it when it was a player made format called frontier and i wasn't going to do it until players were actively buying those cards forcing me to up my buy list number on them yeah
1: and i i think the interesting thing has been because a number of vendors that i've talked to and even you know some of the larger people in the game have all said like yeah we didn't really pay any attention to it and they made the announcement and by the time we got to it that was too late you know, we'd, we'd already been hit by everything because it was such a snap. Yep. Oh, we're going to buy all this stuff now. And I can't recall a time where that happened, where the market reacted that quickly. Obviously, it's always reacted quickly. But this one was interesting because I think we've been waiting for so long. Yeah, yeah. That when they said, hey, you know, the first Pro Tour is Pioneer. We had to start paying attention as vendors. Yep, exactly. We didn't have a choice because now, all right, well, here's the first pro tour, which means they're committed to this ladder. And it seems like, based on the announcement, and again, subject to change because Wizards of the Coast, who knows, uh, the commitment is to paper magic. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, we have to pay attention to it now. Because I was very similar to you. I didn't care. Like, back... You know, pre pandemic, it was, you know, we had modern, we had standard, we had limited. Those were our seasons. Yeah. And we're going to try to interject Pioneer here and there. We'll see how it goes. We're kind of like
0: messing with the idea,
1: but we're not super committed to it. And now all of a sudden they said, yeah, no, run with it. Yeah. We're going.
0: Yeah. So it's the OP announcement and then the player base kind of rallying around that that really yeah. impacts your view on the importance of supporting pioneer now and yeah the importance of that demand really driving home the idea that as a vendor like okay this is a format that's real enough that we have to start supporting this from a buy list standpoint and i guess one of the the other things to think about is and this is a question that's kind of off script the lgs model is different because you need to also support with events where possible yeah so that interjects what in the next calendar that you haven't quite set up yet a month or two out pretty much yeah okay and it, especially
1: with them going back to a pseudo ptq system yep. uh basically saying hey here's the end event have fun mm-hmm. and just trying to scramble for that as well had also made it kind of difficult because you know i my store and there's a couple others that I talked to the owners of. They're like, you know, we don't really know if our if the greater area around us will support this format. We're still going to run the event because obviously if it is like the old PTQ system, people are going to travel, but we still want to be able to cater to our locals. Yeah. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that shapes up. Because a lot of times, you know, stores two months out have their big event calendar done, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, oh, I have like six months to run this PTQ uh, for the Pro Tour qualifier and I have to plan around pre-releases. Uh, I have to plan around Pokemon pre-releases. I have to plan around Yu-Gi-Oh! set releases. I have to plan around whatever other events I have going on and holidays. And it suddenly got very crowded for these people to, like, for these LGSs to say, hey, we're going to make time for this. Yeah. But what are you going to do? You can't not run it
0: right. Exactly. I imagine if you're going to emergency swap events, it would be F&Ms or uh, events that people are already expecting to play Magic but wouldn't be too miffed about.
1: Yeah, for okay. sure.
0: the The next question is kind of an interesting one to frame. So, I guess the idea for this one kind of comes from we look back. We look back at the last two years and talk two and a half years. And we talk about all right, not being sure whether or not we're going to be able to support Pioneer from a vendor standpoint and target that format with our buy list because it's only a digital format. Star City ran a couple of events. It seemed to be like mediumly. Uh, Received, and then Watsi really did nothing with the format and it died. How deep do you go on Pioneer? You know, how hot do your lists run at this point?
1: So I think how hot your lists run is dependent upon two factors Mm -hmm. uh, based on the event you're going to. Uh, Is 95 there? And if so, what's their buy list number? And are they out of cash yet? <laughs>
0: <laughs> those those are the big ones. Yeah, you're not going to beat them <laughs> otherwise. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, as far as how deep you go, I think it's... You know, if there was an event where I was going to bring staples based on main or side events, yep. I think I care a whole lot more about Pioneer now than I did. Mm-hmm. If there's a couple Pioneer side events, uh, if there's a Star City con uh for example baltimore let's just say mm-hmm. uh that is in august i believe
0: syracuse baltimore columbus ohio in that order i believe but i don't know the dates
1: that is correct yes in august or even let's say syracuse in july mm-hmm. because august is the pro tour i believe when dreamhack is so in july uh i do don't know if they have announced oh nope, we have modern 30k trials uh modern and legacy side events so there are no pioneer events here okay i still think i bring pioneer Mm -hmm. simply because in in any other situation i don't know that i'd necessarily do that Uh, the reason i think i do to this event is one we know right around the corner is the Pro Tour for Dreamhack, and two, because of how quickly the player base rallied around a Pioneer Pro Tour, because of how quickly they basically, you know, spoke with their wallets and said, "Hey, we're we care about this format." Uh, you know, Ledger Shredder is spiking in large part because of how played and Pioneer it is now. Uh, seeing that, all of a sudden. I, I probably bring those smaller end staples. Uh, I probably bring a few more Fabled Passages than I would otherwise. Okay. Maybe a few more Gilded Geese. You know, stuff that all of a sudden I may have stocked for EDH, like Meat Hook Massacre. Well, it sees a lot of play in Pioneer, so maybe I double up on my
0: inventory. Okay.
1: So I think for me, were I saying how deep am I going into Pioneer... I'm basically looking at what are the cards that I was going to bring anyways, that C play and pioneer let's bring extra. Yep. And as far as your small end, like one to $2 staples that are $5 in an event because you need it and you need it now. Mm-hmm. I'd probably put a little bit more emphasis on pioneer. Honestly.
0: Yep. That That's kind of what I was thinking. It was like, you know, when this happens, we hit the OPA announcement and until we're able to state demand, for me, my buy list on Pioneer runs hot enough that I feel certain that at no point in time am I going to zero out on any staples from a rare or mythic standpoint for longer than a couple of days. So my yeah. buy list online is probably going to be targeted basically towards the upper echelon of the format, and I might raise the floor on like tier two, but I'd keep the yeah. rest of it kind of flat the way it is. Like mono green devotion was good. It's not that great anymore, yep. so am I going to raise the floor on staples for that deck? Probably not. I'll let it float. Like Nyctus is an EDH card, so that's probably already got a premium on it. But you know where I'm gonna focus? I'm gonna focus on Arc Light Phoenix and I'm gonna look at Leisure Shredder. I'm gonna look at Thing in the Ice for those decks. When yeah. doubt probably have infinite voice of resurgence because that card was a clunker and then reprinted and at this point in time, there's a really good chance that I've sold out of Pathways because of EDH, so I probably have to crank all those numbers. And how long will it take to really get to a spot where I'm comfortable? I'm unsure, but I think i let the buy list ride because I have to essentially yeah. restock an entire the staples for an entire format after letting them bleed.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the important things when there are shifts in organized play like this. Is what are we just going to let bleed out? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you have a limited amount of space. Mm-hmm. You can't show up for a booth and bring literally everything. Exactly. You can't display it. So that's you know always been the key thing for me is what are we letting bleed out and what are we stemming with you know. So. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think for this, I'd honestly probably let a lot of legacy, and some modern slide. Is there a reason yeah. why I need to stock Stoneforge Mystic, pass a, a playset and two? Probably not. So I can probably turn the faucet off on stuff like that. And I think I'd, that's, I'd actually have a sit down like as a vendor with my category specialists and talk about stuff like that and refocusing our efforts to ensure that we're stocking where we need to. Because while modern is seeing play and there are people entering that format, the greater opportunity is on Pioneer and, and we've probably been bled of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. No. Oh, good.
1: Oh, I was going to say, and I, I think that's kind of... One of the issues that some vendors are having now is all of a sudden they were like, wait, we have been bled of this stuff and we need it because it wasn't an emphasis for us. Uh, And that, you know, lends itself to the how hot will your buy list run. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of places now, and this has kind of been the standard in the industry for a few years now, the solo GP booth is kind of dead. You have to have a store backing. And I think from the people I've talked to, what they've done is their store buy lists run real hot on this stuff. Yeah. And that's the stuff they bring, bring to the show. show. Yeah.
0: Yep, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So speaking of the show, you know, you mentioned, you know, stocking cases earlier, you know, let's say we're attending anything, you know, you mentioned the SEGs, cause those are the three coming up. I don't know if the, the dream hack, PTQ vendor stuff is out yet what's going to happen there so we'll just focus on on that kind of event sure so from now until the PT how would you stock your cases so I think one of the
1: important things here too is we have star cities obviously uh, we also do have the command fests mm-hmm. uh, and the command fests are going to be very interesting because there's different TOs with those uh, who for those of us who have been around for a while know attract a different kind of clientele not literally just based on who's local but literally based on if I want maximum value from events these are the places I go to I'll go here for this here for that etc I think what's for me command fest doesn't really change
0: okay
1: that's the same Uh, I'm still going to stock what I'm going to stock that's it um as for star cities or whatever other events really uh i think this does you know like i kind of touched on earlier hey uh maybe i do cut a few stoneforge mystics because really do i need four play sets an event i might sell two if i'm lucky mm-hmm. All of a sudden, now I have freed up space for this, because I think that, you know, if there's something that was on that fringe of, well, it might see play in EDH, but it mostly sees play in Pioneer. All of a sudden, that's enough. Yeah. I can bring that now and probably sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have the opportunity to move Light Phoenixes, which I may not have been able to do before. And to me, especially for these first few events, I'm probably gonna be a little bit more adventurous. Okay. In terms of what I actually am bringing to these. You know, I'm actually going to I may not bring a bunch of Winotas before. I guess I will now.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: What's the worst that can happen? Gigantha? Yeah, mostly like a bulk ish card. But Rakdos and Jun sacrifice are things, so I should probably try it, right? Yeah. Alright, let's go for it. And that's kind of you know where it's been well it hasn't been there in a while really where you've had that experimentation that ability to say you know what i'm just going to check it out we'll see what happens and i i feel like that makes this you know a really good time to be in it because we are able to experiment unlike we've been able to for a long time uh and that's to me yeah i want to experiment a little bit more with what i'm going to bring to these events because i want to figure it out now in this you know new era of paper play before things really start kicking off Mm -hmm. and we get back to Grand Prix's or Magic Fests or whatever it ends up becoming, and all of a sudden it's every other weekend we have an event to get to. Because right now our event schedule is still kind of bare. Yep. At least until the Pro Tour when maybe we'll get another announcement and all of a sudden we get Magic Fests or something Mm -hmm. back. We'll see.
0: Yeah. For me, the way I was thinking about it was like I'm, I'm looking at the front face of my booth, and how would I how would I handle this? So I'm not thinking about the sides and the wings, which is probably where I'd have like my higher end stuff and like my dedicated EDH stock, or the dedicated overhead. And I was like, what do we do here? Yeah. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I felt like the way that we had everything laid out at our booth for Vegas that summer was the is the how I would handle this. That summer, yeah. That was uh, Dominary and Core 2019, and that had a really lame duck standard. It was it was very. We did it what was being played could be summed up in a case or less and i think that's what i would do is i would shrink standard down to one case because you do sell those cards they fall into edh etc the land base is generally pretty yeah. decent i mean especially now with kamagawa out right and so you have that stuff in there that, that takes up case and then the rest of that front facing doesn't change it becomes modern and pioneer and then maybe a case for edh staples, things like soul rings greaves etc yeah and in that and the reason i do that is because modern contains pioneer so i can just direct everybody to those cases right in front of me and because they overlap so well i don't think there's a reason why i would really need to split that the biggest issue i have really is the land base this is something I, i think i touched on last week or the week before i mean sometime where the Pioneer land base, the more you dig in, is more unique than you might think. Everything from shocks to temples are being played, and so it's very difficult to want to be able to stock all of that in your case. So for me, it's shocks and pathways in the case because those are what people (coughs) are looking for more often than not. Those, that's your A tier lands in the format, your S tier lands, whatever you want to look at it. Then pain lands, temples, uh, everything else can be in the binders. And they would be like yeah. dedicatedly stocked to the binders, and any staples, like not covered by Modern, sprinkled in throughout. And I think that's perfectly fine. So again, Giganta, like you mentioned, perfect. Corvold, perfect. Meat Hook, perfect. Like that. That's a Meat Hook is like a triple threat because it hits Ma, Pioneer, EDH, and Standard. Like, yeah. So hits it all. Yeah, exactly. So that's actually is it? Is that card still in Standard? That was a... I think so. That was a Crimson Vow special. So, yeah, that would be in the standard stuff. Yeah. Okay, right? Cool. So, yeah. so that's over there. And then anything that's truly in the B tier or just, like, cat oven, right? Cool. Shove it in the binders if it happens yeah. to be there. I'm not going to go digging through everything to make sure that I have all my B tier stuff, but I do want to make sure all my A tier staples are there. Do I want to make sure all my enablers from a spell perspective for Arclight Phoenix are somewhere mm-hmm. represented by Booth? absolutely, Winota absolutely, the mono black decks again, yeah and that's in my mind how I would do it because that's what I'm going to be moving at these events now, it's primarily modern and pioneer, more pioneer than modern, but I can get away with a lot of work in my binders and yeah. to your to to the point we keep hammering home, do we need all those stoneforge mystics at the booth, no, probably not, you know, you don't even need all ten fetch lands at your booth haven't for a no. while still don't now you you can you can miss on windswept teeth and it's fine because if you bring instead four more scalding tarns you'll move those and so yep. that consolidates because you go taller on scalding tarns than wider on fetchlands and you get a, a literal piece of real estate back to put more cards to sell and stuff like that happens all the time all yep. the time you know there are booths that do bring duels but they don't bring all 10 not everybody's bringing in that scrub line and that plateau, you know, no. or, or that Taiga. So, yeah. like, for me, that's the way I would handle it. And, and that works even at a, a half booth. That works at a full booth, the, the way I was yeah. thinking about it. And it really doesn't change presentation that much from what people currently expect. And is it something that I would expect at some of these shows? I believe so at this point. I believe you can start doing that. You can start mixing and matching your cases because you don't need to deviate... From modern to pioneer, you create a lot more dead air in your cases or you restart your formats in such a way that is uh, like jarring for people to see. Yeah. And I think,
1: you know, the the thing that you really touch on that I think is important is when you said, you know, this is something that works at a half or a whole booth. I think that's super important because uh, you like you want to be able to say, hey, no matter what our setup is, because you're not always going to get the same size booth, what's something I can do that works literally everywhere? And it saves you so much time when you just have one setup that works for
0: everything. Yeah.
1: Everything.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to, to Pioneer from the vendor perspective, like for me for me that covers it. It really came down to like biolist and then yeah. what we do at, what we do at the booth. For sure. Is there anything more from the LGS perspective, uh, that side of things that we didn't really hit on? Not really.
1: Uh, you know, again, one of the biggest things was basically, you know, how are we scheduling these events and then what does our in-store buy list look like on this stuff? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like we basically said, Hey, we're paying a little bit above our normal rates on, you know, pioneer stuff that we don't have. Please bring
0: it. Yeah. So you asked a question earlier if I, if. I've seen anything like this happen before and like, yes, this formats shift and the only time I can imagine it happening, outside of when Modern started but everybody had Modern, so it wasn't a problem Yeah, Um, Shocklands were hard to find because they were just Shocklands and low pop it was probably extended rotations when... Yeah, I think, yeah, you're probably right. That's that's all I can think of because everybody was dumping a dead format and buying into a brand new one and if you knew what was up then those cards just disappeared. Because we're talking about, like, what is it? Ice Age through Saga rotating out, through Masks rotating out, leaving Invasion as the starting point for the next extended rotation. Then all of that rotating out, and Mirrodin becomes the foundational block or something in um, Warwin. So you just have these huge starts and stops for for eras of cards. And it, it really is the only thing I can think of like this because who's going to carry all the chaff from like Kamigawa block. On yeah. After it rotates out of standard when it's but in extended, because the oldest part of extended is so powerful that it's just locking out Kamigawa block. Like yeah, that kind of stuff is really all it harkens back to and All I can think of
1: yeah i i think that's definitely true uh yeah the extended rotations were i mean i i remember the first extended rotation when you had dual lands rotate out of extended i never saw such a wild frenzy of people both buying and selling the same cards (laughs) because there there were a ton of people that like great i'm done with these duels get off of them and then there were a bunch of people that are like these cards are really good and way too cheap I want all of them. Yeah. And there was that like frenzy of the market just immediately hit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're spot on.
0: Yep. All right. Picks.
1: Let's all do right, it. I want you went first last week. There it is. I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so mine's a little bit nebulous. And sometimes I make these picks because I, you can't tell me what to do. Uh, Gilded foils no. from new capenna just in general. Yeah so the one that i'm going to use as an example here there's two that i'd like to cite uh, one of which is jetmir nexus of revels and the other is void so jetmir if you take a look at the mtg stocks graph obviously this seems like a bad time to buy in because it's on the way up well if you remember long long ago in the yesteryears i once picked divert the invocation yes reason being hey it's the cheapest invocation it's going to go up when people start trying to collect all of these things and it at one point was i think when i picked it about 15 dollars we have now doubled in price almost like 28 30 dollars uh, the gilded foils to me are one of the most unique things magic has ever done with showcase it's basically like the max gold rarity of Yu-Gi-Oh. for any of you that know what that is uh only the foil doesn't peel off when you put it in the sleeve the way it does with those i also think this is something that is going to be incredibly difficult for them to revisit because they basically said look this is the gilded age of magic mm-hmm. or the gilded age set for magic rather this is you know what we're doing it's great Gatsby is a magic set in fantasy so this is clearly something that by design is specific to Capenna. I don't really see that we have a reason to return here ever who knows I could be wrong I've been plenty wrong before probably be wrong on this but uh this is the type of foils that I think if you were to grab a couple like three or four and you were like look even the commons and uncommons this is something I want to get on and just sit on maybe A couple playsets of each rare a play set of each mythic three four playsets of the uncommons commons whatever i think this is really good now in terms of timeline depends on what you target of course cards like jetmir which have obvious edh potential uh cards like void rend which have obvious construction potential or constructed potential those Cards have a little bit and some of like the common ones that are really just cool looking and don't have a whole lot else. Personally, I'd be targeting your mid range stuff. So, like Jetmere is like 70, 80 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, market on it is like 50, but low is 80 right now. Okay. Void has been sitting at a pretty consistent 10, 15, 20 bucks. Cool. That's the type of stuff I would prefer to target if I wasn't just going wide on all.
0: Yeah,
1: of it. yeah. Uh, is like those mid range constructed playable. Uh, you know, Voidrend, sure, it's hard to cast. But it's a very powerful effect. It's also the kind of effect that, excuse me, EDH players love. Same with Jetmere. So it has that constructed playability with the EDH utility. And the fact that it's a rare as opposed to a mythic is, if you look at all of the gilded foils, why it is so much more affordable mm. than is Jetmere. Uh, So that's where I'd go, and I'd honestly go about one to two play sets now in terms of timeline. Again, we're looking longer on the low end stuff. On this constructed and like mythic stuff, the more EDH viable it is, the closer I think you're looking at like a three to six month timeline on this. Uh, Let's, you know, bear in mind the next few sets we have. We have Commander Legends 2. We have Double Masters 2 coming out. We have Return to Dominaria we have returned to brothers war for the third time uh based on previous sales of the sets that preceded those mm-hmm. commander legends was great double masters was great dominaria at the time was the best-selling set ever uh, all of the brothers war sets were incredibly broken design which granted marrow came out and admitted they didn't have play testing during urza block before now we have play testing but these are all sets that promise to be big sellers so i would not be surprised if all of a sudden come those sets release the sealed for capenna just starts to sit there and that's when you see some of these gilded foils your jet mirrors your void rents start to go up as those sets release i think the longest timeline you're looking for to be able to profitably trade out buy list throw in a booth throw in an lgs realistically it's not going to take more than i would think six to nine months at most for the constructed playable stuff uh obviously things can change if we get a secret layer gilded foil and it's you know something stupid who knows with secret layers what that does but i like these a lot more than any of the recent showcases outside of the mystical archive alt arts
0: okay
1: uh it's just a very unique aesthetic it's something that is relevant in pop culture. Uh, obviously, like Fitzlang's Metropolis, Great Gatsby, all of this stuff. So it has that going for it as well. Just my thoughts.
0: Are these the textured ones?
1: They are. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know people were questioning whether or not you could feel them through a sleeve because they're slightly thicker than a regular Magic card thanks to the texture, but I think uh Fears assuaged, I think they're fine. Yeah. yeah I, I like the point about You can either go wide or go tall. And if you go tall, go on the constructive stuff because that's the important part of this. They spoon-fed you everything with the masterpieces and the invocations and the um, expeditions. It was a very limited set. Here is the set. So you have to make your own decisions. And you can either be the completionist, which is not a difficult ask. It's just going to take some time or a lot of clicks on TCG Player to go through it. Some you know aggressive trading to get what you need, or you can be very targeted and go tall and make hay that way. And I think that that is again an important call out because right now the low hanging fruit is going to be the cards that are not the obvious EDH playables. Uh, it is going to be the constructed cards and the uh, like the commons on comments, whatever is just not really. Doing a whole lot, yeah. So I, th- I think it—you can definitely do this. You know, s- the sorts on TCG Player are going to be your friend for this kind of stuff. But there's definitely a lot yes, of room, definitely a lot of room to to maneuver. the The timeline on it also seems fine as well. There's a lot that plays into EDH. Um, if you listen to the Chicago Land Gaming podcast from, I believe it's this week. They discuss a lot of future vision seen in the set, and so there are yep. a lot of cards that play well with what we might see coming down the down the line that coming gilded foil. So they might be stagged it now, but pick up in time because of the uh, future vision. So I won't spoil that, but definitely give that podcast a uh, listen if you can, because you can definitely apply a lot of what they talk about there to a lot of this kind of spec, and get yeah. way ahead of the curve, way ahead. Yeah, I, I like it. My the the only concern I have for this kind of stuff is always the price tag that comes with it. Like twenty for a void rend, isn't the the worst thing in the world. But like seventy for a friggin Naya cat legend is a little yeah a little much for I, for me personally.
1: And and I will say of all of them, the one that I think is objectively the best, mm-hmm. broker's ascendancy. If you had to target one and you could only target one, brokers is the one I would
0: go for. Which guild is that? Uh bant. kill. Okay.
1: It's uh every end step plus one plus one counter on each creature and a loyalty counter on each
0: planeswalker. You oh control. yeah, it yeah. just buffs the board.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. just insane.
0: Yep, yeah. So this week I'm I'm still sticking on the EDH train, but we're jumping away from green finally. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, but it is a big dump spell. Okay, there so, we go. That's fine. It's still in the wheelhouse. And we're looking at Blatant Thievery, because yeah. this card deserves to be looked at every now and again. And originally I was tracking Onslaught, but a lot of what I'm gonna say is gonna be applicable to all three printings of this card. And I, I, I'll say that again later on, and I will repeat it now, because this needs to be hammered home. Three, there are only three printings of this card. Okay, so let's start there. So for seven mana, you get a sorcery. For each opponent, gain control, of target permanent that player controls. So I've had the stocks gra- graph up for a bit, and this card goes vertical. At uh, Neo Kamigawa release because of Hanada. So in a four in a four player game you have three targets that reduces the mana value of this spell by three, making it cost one triple blue. Very approachable, very very approachable. Now day of when I picked this in September of 2021, CK was buying 19 of them at two dollars and twenty five cents, and TCG market was three dollars and twenty nine cents. As of me picking this card, Car Kingdom is now buying 23, which is an increase of about 30%, at $5.50, which is twice what they were paying. And there are 50 left on TCG Player at $9.35. So, yeah. what does this card do in regards to overall EDH playability? Well, it really only does one thing, and it's just... It just steals stuff. It is blatant thievery. It is... That, Reading the card explains the card. You are just blatantly thieving things from the board. So in terms of overall themes of where this is played, it's slightly limited. But this did used to be a format staple for control decks, and it can still be seen on Rec as that. There's definitely some holdover data from that era. As As far as the format on the whole is concerned... The immediate look, as I said, is Hanada, as the passive ability reduces the mana value by one colorless for each permanent you target. Within this deck, it's a staple, and that is the immediate home. But past that, and looking historically at the format, this is a high-end finisher or quote-unquote problem-solver for most control decks. This lets you steal, again, a permanent each opponent controls, and that can't be understated because... A lot of times this effect limits you in terms of permanent type, but because this is the OG, this is open and unbridled. Its utility and impact shouldn't be overlooked or understated. Now blatant thievery seems to have been lost to the sands of time as other alternatives have come and gone, but it remains one of the best options for the effect. do think we're going to hit an inflection point whereby once Hanada decks force this out of the market space and people begin to self-report more, we'll see it pop up on REC a lot higher than it currently is, Uh, also on stocks, which would be great for it. Now, you are stealing, again, a permanent, so there's a bit of a BM surrounding this card, but it's not as egregious as Cyclonic Rift or get in in a control deck where there's no immediately no immediate kill afterwards. That is the worst thing when your control opponent or anybody at the table psych rifts and has no follow up. You know? Yeah. Not everyone likes seeing their high impact cards swap controllers permanently. Right? So there, there's also that little bit to this. Now, as far as timeline is concerned, the recent movement due to Hanada is unsustainable. Obviously. But we haven't reached the apex yet. The average seems to be tapering off, but the market price is still trending up. Thus, I believe we're safe to buy in now. We're looking to get ahead of an empty market space and sell back into it. Because the market across, again, the three printings is currently draining. I think we have less than 200 copies across all three printings. 70 46 and 49 so that's like 150 unique prices left so as with one of my picks a couple of weeks ago this is another example of us being behind the immediate curve but again i wanted to sign that there wouldn't be a catastrophic retrace and we're currently getting that because the market is still rising reprint equity three sets Onslaught, Commander 2015, and Explorers of Ix- of Ixalan's Supplemental Kit. That's it. Like bribery, this card is under when compared with recent printings, like mass manipulation. It's doubtful we'll see this again in even a Commander product because they keep making mass manipulation, which costs more and does less. That's really what they want to see here. This is like, like, like bribery before it just... Or not... <clears throat> after it before it When was bribery originally printed odyssey Bef- masks? masks masks before like bribery before it it's just too efficient for what it does you just pff, don't want to see this one anymore at how quote-unquote little it costs now for buy quantity i'd aim for between 4 and 12 depending on your outs i have a, I uh i have my mixed set from buying collections already And this is where I'm going to stay as I'd like to trade these to locals to trade up. If I were going to move these into the open market or buy list, I'd be fine parking my money in 12. Because we're going to be selling into an open market space. There's going to be nothing. It's just going to be dead.
1: Yeah, I think one of the reasons I love cards like Bribery is these are the kinds of cards that do just kind of slip through the cracks because all of a sudden wizards has this pet card mass manipulation where they're like, Hey, we printed this recently and we don't really have to deal with it. You know, we can just reprint it and people know what the card is. Uh, I also don't know that I would consider explorers a set, Um, (laughs) which is to the credit of this pick because it was such a small print run, you know, it didn't really do much to the price of the card and this is the kind of thing that it seems like they've just gotten away from uh i think it's very interesting that for as prevalent as this card is at casual edh tables whatever uh the foils for an original border onslaught are less than 50 dollars that's wild to me
0: yeah you can uh Pro tip immediately arbitrage one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight vendors worth of blatant thieveries direct to CK.
1: Yeah. Cool. And foil. Yeah. Good
0: value. Yeah, anywhere from ten to like twenty dollars. Easy. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's that's the kind of like I like picks like this for that exact reason. It's kind of a forgotten card. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to remember when EDH first started, this was in every single blue deck. And now it's just kind of fallen off. And I don't know that it's the kind of thing that would necessarily if the price starts going up, oh, we need to reprint it immediately. I just don't think that's
0: there. Like I said, they keep making the effect, but slightly worse. Like,
1: Yep, mass manip- that's what they want yep. to do.
0: Mass manipulation, double X, quad blue, gain control of X target creatures and or planeswalkers. So you can technically yeah. go wider with mass manip for more mana, and you're limited to creatures and planeswalkers. And I could have sworn there was like another one or two, but if they are here, nobody's playing it in, in uh, dedicated Hinata decks, it seems. No. So
1: solid. Yeah. I like it a lot, and I think it's probably, of any of the picks we've had recently, will likely be one of the easiest to move when that time comes.
0: Yeah, I was really surprised that this had gone up as much as it did, because I was like, this is just a card that nobody uses anymore. There's no way people are buying a ton of it. It's in binders everywhere. Yeah. And then I thought back on I'm like, wait a minute. No, it's not. This is not in binders anywhere. I haven't seen this card in years. Like Nobody Yeah. Ever- this just isn't floating around for whatever reason. They're all sitting somewhere, and I don't think we're going to see a flood to market. No, no,
1: I wouldn't think so. This this is something that exists in places that it won't come back from.
0: You yep. know. Yeah. Agree. And like. Yeah. Is, wait, is there? A, you can almost immediately arbitrage from. Okay, there is arbitrage opportunity ish on the low end right now. And CK only has one available. It's not going to be long. CK has four total left on their website. If they go, then their buy list goes with it. So we are really close to actually being able to arm almost everything from TCG player to to CK. It's just somebody has to want to spend like $36. And then we're there. Pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm... I'm happy with it because it made me go back and dip into a spot in my picture. Where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this thing from forever ago. This card that used to be a format staple that's upcycling. And it's nice to see that new cards can do that. that they just make you go back and reevaluate stuff from forever ago. Because, like, we've waxed on both. This was everywhere when the format started. Then it was nowhere. And now we've got a reason to dust it off. And I think that's... It, it just speaks to how interesting... EDH can be.
1: Yep. Yeah. It, as static as it is, boy, does the game change constantly. Yeah,
0: exactly. Although, I don't think any part of this is relevant to CEDH, though I think Hanada Stacks is.
1: Yeah, Hanada Stacks is
0: cool. Yeah. So, yep. uh, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Unless there's anything else you want to touch on? I'm good. All right. So for at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are?
1: At Thirsty Sizzler. See you
0: next week.